Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and founder of veganbusinessmedia.com the multimedia platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Eric Lindstrom from Thank Tank Creative, a consulting design and marketing agency in New York. Eric has more than 20 years of experience as a senior level administrator, entrepreneur and consultant in communications, marketing, brand management and design for various organisations across several industries, including higher education, government, facilities, financial, retail and entertainment, picking up a slew of awards along the way. In 2014, he founded Thank Tank Creative to focus on working with vegan, socially just and environmentally conscious businesses and non-profits. His clients include Miyoko's Kitchen, Plant Pure Nation, The Vegan Food Truck and many more. Eric also runs the popular blog The Meaty Vegan and his first book, a memoir and cookbook, The Skeptical Vegan, will be published next year. In this interview, Eric talks about the first thing you need to do before developing your branding materials, a major misconception many vegan business owners have about logos and branding, why branding and design is so important, the downsides of crowdsourcing your logo, how often you should redesign your website, how to decide what colours to use in your branding and design, and much more. Here's the interview with Eric Lindstrom of Thank Tank Creative. Hello, Eric. Thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, uh, Katrina. It's such a pleasure. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so you're a, I'm very excited to speak with you because, um, as we, we mentioned earlier, you know, you're a, uh, you run a, an agency with marketing. You cover the whole kind of range of, uh, you know, graphic design and um, uh, marketing and, you know, really helping ethical businesses to to raise their pro, their brand profile and get themselves out there. And I should mention online uh, to people as well that Eric actually did the topography and logo for vegan business media. So that's I can great. personally attest to his, his wonderful. <laughs> Um, services. And that's how we first met. That's right. <laughs> it is. Exactly. Exactly. So tell us about the why. This is the first question I ask everybody on the show is, is what are the driving reasons? What are the, what's the, the purpose um, behind running Think Tank Creative? Well, uh, Katrina, it's, you know, it's, it's a story not unlike the story of your own vegan journey where you set out to do something that you're good at. You hopefully uh, can make that a career and be passionate about it. And so having been born a cartoonist, uh, my actual God-given talent is illustration, and uh, that turned into graphic design that eventually turned into starting my first uh, advertising agency in New York, which was very successful. And then for years, I was on contract with a lot of different companies. And so when I did actually become vegan, and when I went from more of a plant-based person, someone who was vegan for a diet versus someone who was vegan for ethical reasons, uh, once I realized that I could actually put those two things together, it became that thing that you've always wanted to have as a business owner. It's something that you are passionate about, something that drives you. And so when Think Tank Creative was launched, it was launched with the idea 
of helping like-minded businesses. You know, we say vegan, socially just, and environmentally conscious businesses. And really what we mean is that the business that we help to brand, to market, to bring to market, to design product packaging around, or to uh, help them with their websites or whatever project we're working on, we want to know what they do is somehow positively, you know, obviously impacting the world in a, in a positive way. So it was a way in which I could take what I love doing and it stems from design and, and goes all the way to marketing and branding uh, and tying it into my, my vegan, my ethical veganism. Wonderful. I love that. And you're right. I can absolutely relate to that. And I think a lot of people will be inspired by that to know that because I think sometimes people think, right, I've got to have a horrible day job that I hate and do my activism in my spare time. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't have, you know, a day job if they need to, you know, to to get their business going or to help their business out. And I'm certainly not putting that down. But I think there's there's kind of this thing of, you know, it's almost like a badge of honor that, you know, you've got to have a a job that you really hate and do your activism (laughs) in your spare time. So I I love that we're, we're starting to see this now and be inspired by business owners such as yourself to say, well, you know, okay, maybe there is a way to marry this. And well, it, it's certainly exciting when you can do that. My, my old saying was that that work is a four-letter word. And so if it feels <laughs> like that, you know, if it feels like work is a four-letter word, and as, as you say, Katrina, there's, there's certain uh, instances and situations that may not allow people the freedom, flexibility to pursue their dreams. But if you've always got something that you're reaching toward, and if you've always got something that you're passionate about, which is kind of what we're talking about today, our, our businesses and companies that that want to grow from uh, their own ethical and compassionate perspectives, um, then it no longer feels like a four-letter word. You know, it's it's something you want to do, and that's that's what I was able to do when I launched Think Tank Creative. Exactly, exactly. And I think the more vegan run on ethical businesses that are out there, they will then need to have staff to work in their day jobs. Because you know what I mean? There's, there's honour yeah. in being an employee versus a business owner. So yeah, that's great. So all right, let's talk a little bit about branding and design. Um, so what are some of the key mistakes vegan run businesses make in regards to branding and design? Well, you know, I was thinking about that question, um, because it's often asked, um, in what we do when people approach us about having their businesses branded or, you know, branding being everything from a logo to actual branding campaigns to say, who am I and what am I about? Uh, A lot of that, again, comes from what is it that makes you, you, or makes your company, your company? What is it that makes it that special? And it exists. I mean, if you're, if you're operating a, a, a business or starting to operate a business or thinking about starting a business, you're going to have that unique selling proposition that's just you. And that becomes your brand. And so when we talk to people about what do you want your brand to represent or who do you think it needs to reach or how do you think it needs to be perceived, the first thing you have to really look at is what makes it different. And there's always something that's going to make it different. And quite honestly, if you don't have that thing that makes it different, uh, maybe you're not ready. You know, Maybe you're not ready to sit down and talk about brand it or talk about uh, you know developing a logo or an entire collateral system or or advertising campaign what is it that makes you uniquely you and your company different than other companies and not wildly different but just something that you can actually put out there and say this is who we are this is what we do and this is why we do it 
Excellent. I really, I really like that. I like that you you pointed that out. That if you don't have that one thing, yeah. maybe you're not ready. That that's a really um, a really good point. So, what about then? What are some of the mistakes they make when they perhaps, um, you know, that or they are going ahead with, uh, you know, with branding and logo? What are some of the the things to be aware of well, um, then, or they should take into account? Yeah, I can give you actually one topical example of. Uh, an attempt that a company I was working with out of California, um, where this client wanted their brand to somehow, their brand being their logo, essentially. Uh, they came to Think Tank to develop a collateral system based on a new logo identity with a tagline. And what they did was created a six-page sort of project plan, an overview of their brand that was so specific that every time we would develop something uh, which could have been and should have been beautiful, uh, it was shot down because it was being compared against a very long list of criteria. And so in this, again, example of, of a client who didn't exactly know what they were doing when they were setting out to do it, they had a list of 18 completely disparate, I mean, they're, they're, they're as, as opposite as possible, different things that they wanted to represent in one icon. And early on in the process, we would say, you know, what really is going to create your logo is you and how you, uh, you know, your, your favorite colors or your favorite fonts and things that are going to appeal to you visually. And then your brand gets built out of that. People are oftentimes do it backwards and they think that they're going to have uh, an easy way of representing every single thought they've ever had about their company in one little uh, coin sized icon. Ah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, that that makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you for for sharing that. That's something for people to to think about. Yeah. Um. So, why is branding and design so important? Uh, well, again, it's it's that outward, um, you know, outward facing representation of your company. When you think about your favorite brands, uh, oftentimes you just think about the product, if it is in fact a product or a service that appeals to you. And so if you look at it and it's it's uh, appealing to you, that means they've reached their target, target audience. If it's something you respond to, that means that their branding is a brand that you can trust and you want to get behind. And uh, and so when, when you're developing that for your company, you do want to make sure that uh, you do understand your audience and you understand uh, what it is they're looking for and what they want to represent uh, or what they want represented in a product or service that they trust. So, uh, you know, branding... Branding is the first step. Branding and logo design is the first step. It's also the most fun step for a lot of people uh, because it's where the rubber hits the road. It's where things get exciting and and uh, you start seeing visual representations of all of the hard work that you've put into something. So, you know, it's it's um it's to us, of course, it's our specialty and it's what we love doing. And to a lot of people, it's either very daunting or uh, it's an exciting journey for them. Right. Excellent. Excellent. So what about a logo then? Because um, people, a lot of people get hung up on logos. Yeah. So how important is a logo and what is its function? Yeah, well, I would say that the, the big um, distinction that I'm finding these days as we work on a variety of different logos uh, for a, a number of different um, organizations is to sort of understand what you want to do with it. Um, a, a true logo is something that is reproducible from everything from a golf ball to a billboard. 
And in fact, the, the file type should be a vector-based image when it's done. The file type should be scalable in that way so that when someone sees it uh, as part of a lapel pin or sees it printed on a business card, you know, the clarity of the message and the, the clarity of the image is just as good as if it were on a poster or a banner at a trade show or something. So that's the logo part of it. That's that icon. That's that thing that, you know, is going to end up fitting on a social media square, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or on your LinkedIn account for your business. That's that thing, that logo. But then a lot of people go into development of their logo expecting or wanting or, in fact, needing a logo type. And so, in other words, it's taking possibly from the beginnings of, of a unique font and then customizing it or doing some hand um, handwork and creating a, a unique font, you know, one of a kind. But a logo type sometimes is all the business needs. So in other words, for something like Vegan Professional Network, uh, that VPN is a, is a shortening of that. Vegan Professional Network could be a, type, a typographical treatment. And then meanwhile, you could have a letter V or, you know, I know they just had a new logo too, which is beautiful. Um, you know, they have an icon that then re represents the rest of the name. So it can be, it's very modular. There's very, there's a lot of pieces that can go into it. And sometimes they all incorporate into one, one element. Like if you think about a seal for a university or something where it's all, uh, all tied together. But I think that the, the distinction is your logo should be super simplified. It should be something that's reproducible in black only. Uh, and then as many colors, you know, as you, as you want to, that would fit well with your, with your brand. Uh, and then how does that tie into the font and the name of your company? Excellent. That's some really, really good advice there. Um, that's, that's great. Cause people often think they don't think that they're kind of quite quick and we'll, we'll talk about that now is a lot of you know particularly maybe vegan startups small business owners you know they say oh I'm not able to afford you know yeah. a graphic designer or a branding professional of course as we know there are many of these quote cheap options available yeah. you know for business owners yeah. including website templates graphics um, competitive design competitions so what are some of the downsides of those and what are some of the benefits of hiring a professional yeah, well, there are a lot of crowdsourcing uh, options for logos and identities, which, by the way, is a good way um, to test the waters. And you might end up with something that's exactly right for you, very you know, perfect. In fact, I personally uh, design for a lot of those crowdfunding uh, sites just to keep my chops going, you know, just to keep myself fresh. It gives me an opportunity to read creative briefs and design things on the side and make a little bit of extra money, but also just sort of see what other people are doing out there. So I don't think they're that bad, but what ends up happening uh, versus working with a professional company is that you don't get that one-on-one -on -one time. You don't get to really talk in person, in depth about your company and about your needs and about what you want to uh, end up you know, representing in your logo. So we've had people come to us who have tried that route and it didn't go well. And then they work with us and they say, well, this was great. And it's because you could talk about it and you can say, can you do that? And should we do this? And what do you think about that? And then you might even find someone like uh, me personally or, or, or someone else that you're working with in terms of professionals to say, this isn't exactly right for you. That, you know, we should go this route instead, or this is a better way of representing the name. So it's just much more of a hands-on process. Um, contests, you know, sometimes work, sometimes don't. They're, they're more or less, uh, I think, I'm sort of speaking quickly here, but they're in the in the graphic design field. They're kind of the kiss of death um, because you're sort of asking a bunch of people who should be paid to do something to perhaps not get paid or get paid very little to be a part of a contest where they're being judged by others who aren't professionals. So 
it can spiral very quickly to uh, not come up with a, a professional and quality result. But some of the crowdsourcing uh, websites aren't that bad and, and you get some good material out of it. But really working one-on-one as it would be with any uh, professional environment. I mean, you wouldn't use a, a, a psychiatrist uh, crowdsourcing <laughs> site or a doctor, you know, like, you know, you want to be working one-on-one with your with your designer, with your marketing firm, uh, as you would with any professionals. Well, I can personally attest to that, as you'll remember, and I'm quite happy to share with listeners, where I kind of had this idea of what I wanted for the vegan business media um, logo. And I knew oh, I yeah. wanted something that had a bit of, I was throwing it was like a bit of showbiz, a bit sparkle. of pizzazz, <laughs> a bit of bling and sparkle. And in the end, I think I emailed you like a, a picture of some gold glitter. And I love the fact that you were kind of like, Katrina, it's just going to look like a Christmas tree. Or you said something like that that made me laugh. And you were just, you kind of almost like you put your foot down. A bit, and I needed that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I'm really glad. And in the end, it was because of that, you know, constant back and forth that you, you got, oh, right. you yeah. know, what I, you got what I, you were able to give. Yeah. Not only give me what I wanted, but I, did, I didn't actually know I quite wanted that, yeah. which was great. Yeah. And I really appreciated and that. that. And so I think, yeah. Yeah. I think that again, you and I working together, uh, albeit briefly, was enough to, to show you how working with someone one-on-one is helpful and how working with someone who's a professional and someone who's on the other side of the world, you know, there's no limits in terms of, of geography, but you know, we got it done and we could, we could, and still will, I'm sure collaborate on other projects where the same process will unfold. You know, you'll come to me and say, this is something I'm working on. What do you think? And I'll say, I love it. And here's why I love it. And you'll go, Oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. You know, like there's there's a back and forth with, uh, exactly. anything yeah, that, that'll give a better result exactly and otherwise like if I'd gone with you know like one of those other like you say the crowdsourcing they would have just given me what I want they would have yeah. run with the gold glitter thing right. and gone right here you go that's what you wanted <laughs> and you know it would have been a disaster so <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can definitely I'd have probably been looking at it going oh it's so beautiful but I don't think anyone would have been going to the right. vegan business exactly. media or taking it that seriously that's so um, so yeah I think that's a really good example um, of yeah working with a professional so so in terms of um, website design because uh, I know that's something else that, that, that you work on now I've seen that the kind of latest fashion seems to be a particular type of design that's kind of like got horizontal blocks yeah. that reveal themselves as the user scrolls down so how important or not is it to have a website that's kind of seen as being trendy or on trend in this way? Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, for those people who perhaps are in the beginning stages of designing their website uh, um, or redesigning their website, and as you say, they'll see things that are somewhat trendy, the best way to sort of uh, get an idea of what a true trend is in terms of internet design, first of all, the internet travels at a speed that is 10 times what normal people travel at. So if you see something that's perfectly trendy now and beautiful, by the time you get your website done, it's already passe. So you got to <laughs> keep that in mind. But there's a, there's an internet uh, Wayback Machine that I'm not sure how many people use. But if you type in your favorite website uh, into the Wayback Machine, you can see what it looked like in different points in time. And it goes back as far as the website was first launched. And really? so I was oh. doing that for... Uh, for a client here at Cornell University, and I, you know, I reflected back to say this is what the site looked like in 2001, and you can't believe how far the internet has come in terms of design and functionality and look and feel, and back then that was perfect for 2001, and so again, I, I do think that there's certainly something to be said for 
uh, certain navigable familiarity with uh, websites that people are, as you say, accustomed to scrolling down and thing, seeing things revealed or, uh, you know, a full screen, full width uh, photo that's responsive from a television screen down to a, a mobile device. Um, those are things that, you know, people are hopefully using properly to help communicate the message uh, to the, the visitor of the website. That's what's most important. I, I'm a big, big believer uh, that content is king. Content drives design. It does not go the other way. And so when you decide what your website uh, is going to communicate, you then decide what it's going to look like. And I was a big fan. In fact, I still haven't done it to this day, and I want to uh, for a client, is to design a one-page website. There was a, a sh very short-lived trend to do those, but it's a way that this new sort of navigation really uh, could uh, work for someone. Is If you only have a six-page website to begin with, just make it one long scroll. And that way on a mobile device, people scroll to where they need to go. People look down in terms of design and graphics and things are revealed as they scroll. And then your navigation across the top only jumps you down to those points in the page. Yes, it's, that's the ones yeah. I've seen a lot of lately. Yeah, yeah I, th I think that's a really uh, intuitive. It's a great way to discipline yourself to not say I want a 50 page website. I want, you know, six top menu items with 15 drop downs because it's going to be, you know, people just can't, they don't have the attention span anymore to sit there and read volumes and volumes on a website. Uh, unless of course it's news websites, you know, there's certain, there's certain uh, sites that, that warrant that much information. But when you're talking about a commercial website for a, for a product or your own personal business, it's better to keep it super simple and realize that 85% of people are going to look at it for the first time on their mobile device and sort of work backwards from there in terms of design and content. Yeah, that's really good advice, yeah, particularly, like you say, about the mobile stuff. And I like that, actually, you as a designer said that content drives it and oh. then design. That's really cool, actually. You often get designers going, no, it starts with all that <laughs> images. And, you know, the wordsmiths go, no, it starts with the content. Oh, so yeah, it's nice that you, yeah. you you said that. That's great. How often should people update their website in, in terms of design-wise, oh, Eric, yeah. you say? That's a great question. Um, annually, at a minimum. You know, I, I actually, I think a good way to think of it is, if you go to your popular uh, malls, shopping centers, um, they are required in their lease to update the entire store on an annual basis, or at least uh -huh. you know biannual. So if you look at um, you know you and I would be talking about probably different stores, but you know a Spencer Gifts or you know a department store or a small jewelry shop in a in a mall, they have to completely remodel uh, to keep it fresh, to keep it interesting. It can't just become, you know, a stagnant storefront. And so the same thing would hold true for a website is that uh, you want to be updating it constantly. Um, you want to be changing content, adding new content, maybe adding some new navigation or drop down options. But you want to be doing that on a daily basis. Uh, if you can't do it on a daily basis, it'd be nice to have a feed of some sort that's, that's uh, fueling, whether it's social media or an RSS feed. But something that's making the site different every time somebody visits. But then in terms of a complete overhaul, I would say a maximum would be maximum would be four years, um, maybe five, but even that's pressing it. If, right. You know, if you could every, if you could once a year sit down and say, all right, I'm going to change this entire homepage or I'm going to change this, you know, the, the thank tank page now has a big video on it, which by the way is about to dry up in terms of interest. But 
it, it wasn't there before. It wasn't there one year ago. And yes, I saw it actually recently. I thought, I'm sure that wasn't there when I, when I looked at it. So, so yeah. yeah. Just adding things like that. So when people come back or you are reminded, um, you know, the, the whole shoemaker's kids go shoeless kind of idea that you're, it's your business and it's really up to you to keep that 24-7 salesperson uh, looking fresh. Absolutely. Got it. Great advice there. So let's talk colors. Why is it important for a business to get their colors right? Well, you know, I, I hinted at and I would uh, um, sort of stand behind a, a, a comment to say that if you're a small business, you're most likely going to choose colors that appeal to you. Um, there was an old trick that I used to do in design. If I was meeting with a client, I would look on the wall behind them and see where they graduated university. And so the first round of colors I would present to them, the logos would be in the color of their alma mater. So if they went to you know, Cornell, for example, I'd give them red logos. If they went to Florida, I'd give them purple logos. And they, it would appeal to them. And they wouldn't know why, but it, it would appeal to them because it's their alma mater. It's their, you know, it's their favorite college colors. So, um, you know, the, the color, the color game is a lot of preference, but then there is some science. There's quite a bit of science backing up, uh, why there isn't a whole lot of purple packaging in, in your, in your food coolers at your grocery store or other, colors. <laughs> you know, why, why, uh, Tide or other, you know, laundry detergents are in the orange and yellow categories. So, you know, there are some definite trends based on categories and industries, um, but a lot of it is, you know, I, I, can, I can't tell you how many times I sit down with a client and they say, I really want this package to be green. And then we just decide what shade of green, you know, you've already made that big decision. Um, I don't go back in and say, well, let's see, are you sure you want green? Because science says it should be, you know, fuchsia or orange or whatever. I love orange, but, um, you know, what, what is it that, that you really want to see, uh, and then making that work. And so I, 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 that's sort of my mentality on color. I bet there's others who would, who would disagree or have a little bit more, again, scientific evidence backing up why certain things are certain colors. Sure. I guess it's that thing about as well that occurred to me is like, you know, should you go with the color that you as a business owner like and want or <laughs> right. shouldn't you be doing the research yeah. to find out well, what will your customers respond to? That's a, that's a really huge question. And again, a lot of that goes <laughs> into how big is your organization and how much time are you going to put into surveys and research ahead of time? Or are you just going to jump in there and make it, you know, silver or gray or gold and hope <laughs> everybody loves it? And uh, and then build from there because you 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 can take you can take your color scheme and you can take your logo and you take your brand and if you offer a truly unique and wonderful product, um, the rest of that's just going to fall into place. That's a good point. Yeah. Are there any particular color like absolute no nos <laughs> in design? Oh my God. <laughs> good question. Um, well, you know, honestly, to tell you the truth, things like. Uh, Gold and silver, uh, just because they're so hard to reproduce um, effectively or consistently, because you don't know what that exactly means. Are you going to use gray when there isn't actual silver available, for instance? Or are you going to use orange when gold is not available? Um, so there's colors that in the world uh, around you don't necessarily or always uh, are well represented in print or online. Uh, so with that in mind, you know, there are there are fluorescent colors that, that definitely would probably be avoided. Um, there's other colors that that just aren't um, perfect or easy to 
uh, render the same. In fact, green is one of those colors, which is interesting because I do so many logos and designs with green because of veganism, but I can create something on my screen and the green is absolutely gorgeous. And then by the time it's turned into a JPEG or rendered into a PDF file or sent over to the client uh, online, they could say, oh, what's that green? And That's you go, true. Yeah. Yes. Go, well, it's, it's the most beautiful green I've ever seen. And they're like, it's horrible. <laughs> And then you have to like, turn off your, your overhead lights, close the door, make sure your curtains closed. <laughs> so you have to like make the same environment because colors are going to look different on every device, uh, depending on where they are. The, the, the classic in, in advertising, the classic color that people use as, as an example is IBM blue and IBM being the, you know, at the, at the time, the biggest computer company in the world. There's a reason they chose that particular shade of blue is basically a cyan color which could not be printed wrong ever every printer in the world had that blue and so it became this you know sort of the standard for saying okay let's make everything consistent as opposed to let's choose periwinkle and then have to tell every single printer around the world here's the makeup of how to make those colors to match the ibm periwinkle uh so you know keeping it simple as far as i'm concerned there's really only five colors and variations on those and so if someone says i want red i say here's red and they go oh, i got it that's red or it's fire engine or it's candy apple or it's you know so there's there's variations in each color category but really if you want a green logo pick a really nice green and run with it excellent such good advice there really good we've, we've dug nice and deeply into branding and design so thank you for sharing those that's insights that's fantastic so for those people who they aspire to owning uh, you know an ethical or vegan run business of some kind what in your opinion are the key things that they need to take into account before they make the jump from say their day job to to self-employed yeah well there's there's two ways for me to look at that one of which is more of a business person uh, entrepreneur entrepreneurial perspective. Um, I find far too often people just not doing the research and the math, uh, the simple, basic uh, mathematics of owning a business. And so if anyone is willing and able to take the leap, I, I caution them to make sure that they've done due diligence in, in just the, the simple mathematics. I've seen too many businesses close because renting perhaps an office space uh, or, or a retail space that's $12,000 a month because it's high traffic. And they, they simply did not do the math on how many widgets they would have to sell to not only make that rent, but to make their payroll and to make their taxes and to make their utility bills and make their advertising. So creating a really solid business plan before you come up with a marketing plan to me is is the most important thing you could do is just don't jump into it if you don't if you if you don't think you're ready or if you're not sure if you're ready. So with that aside, um, you know I would say that making again back to the the point of of being super focused and being excited and being uh, special and being unique in what you do, um, I think that's a huge part of it. I think again in this category in sort of the vegan in turn in my mind right now I'm thinking about vegan foods, but when you think about some of the more successful vegan food that has launched over the past, let's say, three or four years, uh, they were all, they had truly a unique uh, either identity or a unique taste profile or presentation that immediately set them up for success. And so 
that uniqueness, that unique selling position, that that brand that's unlike any other out there is definitely going to help uh, reach your goals. But fundamentally, it's making sure you've you've got a business plan in place. And there are a lot of agencies, uh, you know, uh, that will support you in creating that to make sure you've you've done that spreadsheet to say, here's where we are now, here's where we'll be in a year, and here's where we'll be in five years. And if all of that makes sense, the rest of the stuff is where it gets to be fun. Like, what are our colors? What is our logo? What will the name of our company be? What is our tagline? Where are we going to advertise? How are we going to reach our customers? Blah, blah, blah. All of that, to me, are, actually is the fun part, but you don't really want to start that until you're sure you've got a, a solid business plan. Excellent. That's really good advice. And I know we touched on earlier about, um, you know, how to stand out and making sure you identify, you know, what your USP is, yeah. the one thing, your unique selling point that, that makes you stand out. So in terms of competition, and I, I put that in quote marks, a lot of marketing people say that nowadays businesses should stop thinking about having yeah. competitors and instead embrace them as collaborators and maybe even do joint ventures with them. As a, obviously, I'm a highly experienced marketing and advertising person. What's your take on that? Well, there's two ways that I think of competition and they've changed over the years because years ago, I would say I don't have competition. Um, and I would say that because there's nobody who does exactly what I do. There's nobody who is me. And so in the, in the field of, of marketing, in the, ter- in, in the field of, of advertising and design, uh, I don't have any competition. You know, it, and if, if I lost a bid to a company, I find out why and I, and I make moves or, or changes if I can to get the next bid. But um, I never really thought about um, others as being competitive, which leads me up to today where, in fact, my so-called competition in this field um, are also clients of mine and vice versa. We collaborate on everything together. And that's the beauty of, I think, uh, running a vegan business is that we're all in this together. We're all on the same mission, you know. Um, when, when I think about veganism, I think about, uh, of course, ethical veganism, and I think about the animals. And so uh, everybody that I work with, we're all very uh, proud and open to say, well, we're doing this to help the voiceless, to help the animals. And so how could you possibly think you're competing with other people who are doing that? You know, it just doesn't <laughs> make any sense. So I'm, I'm not competing currently with anyone. And in fact, the people who uh, would be considered competitors I do work with because we can help each other. We can help each other succeed. We can help each other, uh, you know, become profitable. I mean, quite frankly, we're in this to make money, uh, but also to help uh, the overall goal and mission of sort of a global vegan uh, message. Absolutely. And I'm certainly finding that. I mean, even just having, you know, people such as yourself coming on this show and sharing your insights and expertise, yeah, yeah. It, it is, it's very much that mentality. I was a bit worried. I was like, people will go, oh, no, you know, I don't want to. Same with the book, you know, saying, well, <laughs> right. I don't want to, I'm not going to share my secrets with you, you know, and like people are just like, yeah, great. Yeah, totally. Exactly. We have to. And that's so nice it's because so like you say, we are, yeah, we're in it together and, and helping each other out, giving each other work. It, it, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so in terms of marketing, this is another question that I ask everyone and I get lots of different responses. Um, um, in regards to the use of the word vegan in a company's marketing material, so on their website and the prominence of the word, as you know, there's two schools of thought. One, it's limiting because it scares people away. Right. Or two, you know, it's become trendy and cool now and it's quite clever niche marketing. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Well, we have a um, here in Ithaca, New York, we have a food truck that opened a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago. 
And she was very um, adamant about putting plant-based on the side of the truck. Um, plant-based food, plant-based comfort, comfort food, I think is what she used. Um, and she got a little bit of uh, uh, flack from some of the, the hardcore vegans to say, you should be saying vegan, you should put it out there. And, and it was more a matter of, no, my food is plant-based and that's what I want people to enjoy about it and understand about it is that it's not animal-based. It doesn't contain animal-derived you know, uh, ingredients. So plant-based um, as the alternative to vegan is a good way for, I think, food companies to market themselves to a broader audience that doesn't want to feel like they're part of a trend or, as you say, turning people away. However, and I mentioned this in, in my book now, that the word vegan has become that catch-all phrase that even plant-based people use um, just because it's easier to say or more people are perhaps understanding it. So, you know, someone who may not be vegan uh, but subscribes to a whole food plant-based diet may sit down and tell their friend, oh, yeah, I'm vegan. It's just easier to say, you know, it's easier for a lot of people to understand. And I think it's becoming more so uh, with each passing day. So I think like it or not, vegan is going to become the catch-all phrase that everybody's going to use. Um, it's the it's the phrase that's on packaging products. It's the phrase that's on allergen, you know, information. Um, so I think, again, it's it's a relatively young term, right? It's only 70 years old or something like that. So it's um, it's got a long way ahead of it to, to carry a lot of different categories. But I think that um, businesses, businesses should use it uh, if they're comfortable using it. I am. Um, I was sort of, uh, you know, alerted to the fact that I shouldn't. There were a lot of business consultants who said that's crazy to say you market vegan businesses um, as if you're, <laughs> you're going to be limiting yourself. But actually, it only helped because it attracted exactly the types of clients that I wanted to be working with. So exactly, it's, it's yes. yeah. If if I were launching a food line. I would definitely use the word vegan. Um, if I were opening a restaurant, I I might not put the word vegan on the on the awning. I mean, I put the word vegan on the awning. I might not name my business, you know, vegan food because some people are are sort of turned off um, by that term still. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great advice there. And I think it's good to get that advice from you because, as you mentioned, you've got your fabulous book coming out, which yeah. at the moment the working title is The Skeptical Vegan. Right. Right? So I think that's great. I love the fact that you said that you're going, yeah, put vegan here, put vegan there, and your All book right. is the, ske you're the Skeptical Vegan. So that's fantastic. And we'll certainly, when that comes out, we'll, we'll report about that All and right. let people yes. know where they can get it. Um, so, what are some of the mistakes that vegan business owners and entrepreneurs most often make in regards to their marketing efforts? Uh, well, I would say not marketing. Um, you know, that's a big part. <laughs> not doing anything to um, to put yourself out there or to find have other people find you. There was this old, you know, I used to do a lot of radio advertising, and they're always the businesses that were doing their going out of business sale on the air. That's where they would spend the most of their money, and we would always say, if you had spent this money before, you wouldn't be going out of business. That's such a good so, advice. Yeah, so think about that and and know that I'm not even talking about in this day and age where you have to spend gobs of money. There's ways in which on social media you can spend zero. All of that's getting harder because, you know, for Facebook, for instance, a post on Facebook will be seen by 
probably one percent of your followers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's gone down to yeah, that. I think without yeah. some boost yeah. for that post, but you can spend very little to get a lot. Uh, you could do a lot of word of mouth. You can't beat uh, excellent word of mouth. You can't beat you know really good press um, sending out press releases. So it's really if if uh, if your business plan is solid, then within your business plan, there's a marketing plan. And I've written marketing plans that are 100 pages long. I mean, they could get that detailed or they could be two pages, but have something, some kind of guidebook to say, here are the things we need to do and here's how we do them. Um, and then just do them consistently. There's one other old um, adage in, in advertising that the minute you're sick of your advertising message, is the exact minute you've actually first reached your client. And so you have to do it over and over again. You have to keep in front of them as much as possible. And obviously, if you've budgeted, uh, if you've possibly budgeted money in order to do it, you're going to be much more successful. But don't let that be the, the limiter. Don't think, oh my gosh, I can't afford to advertise. I'm just going to give up. Find very clever and creative ways uh, to leverage you know, your audience, your followings, your fans, your product, um, you know, be, be a part of events, whatever you can do uh, to get your name out there is going to make you more successful. Excellent. Excellent. So at what stage then, so say someone does have a budget to hire a marketing professional or seek professional marketing help, but what stage should a new business hire that help? Uh, gosh, immediately. I mean, within the first six, months you should be sitting with somebody to, to some sort of consultant and again if, if it's not a uh, a hired consultant it's somebody you know who has a successful business um, I can remember when I first opened my first agency uh, one of the things that you do when you become incorporated is you form your your board of directors and you sort of fill those seats with with buddies with people you know with friends with other business leaders and you never expect them to uh, be a part of actual meetings. You just had to do it in order to file. However, you find out that they're more than willing to sit down. And so have, you know, half a dozen people over for lunch uh, at your house, for a vegan lunch over at your house and talk business and talk only your business and bring some huge post-it note sheets and some whiteboards and turn this, this um, you know, luncheon into an accidental board meeting on how to grow the business. And so that's a way in which within the first you know, you have to really do it within the first six months. You you want to start on the right track that early on. If you start to go off off the rails within the first six months, you're never, well, I wouldn't say never, but the, the chances of writing it within the first couple of years is, is dramatically uh, decreased. But definitely always have someone in your pocket, a consultant, someone you can you can call or text or email on the on the occasion of wow this didn't work or this is working or what can we do to get more people um so it's it's really early on i would say within the first six months excellent and what should they look for when choosing an agency uh partnership i mean again because we would presumably be on the same page in terms of a vegan message um that's a big, big, huge plus to be able to talk to somebody on the phone and know that you're not going to be taken as a loony because you happen to want to save animals. Um, so finding someone that you're comfortable with, finding someone that uh, you know has a positive track record, has some excellent references or some uh, you know online examples of their work that's outstanding. So it's really um, you know it's finding a half a dozen. Pop 
possible uh, partners uh, to work with, and then and then narrowing that down to two, and really just spending time getting to know them. And you know, most people, you know, myself included, would happily take an hour phone call, an hour out of my uh, day to talk with anybody about their business. And you'd be surprised off that one call, the kinds of uh, tips and advice that you walk away with for free, you know, which I'm not saying that you should always expect things for free, but it's definitely a great way to, to break the ice to say, you know what, a, a good example is I have a local lawyer who I've, I've called on a dozen times and he's never once charged me. <laughs> he just, he's such a great guy and he's so helpful. Oh, that's so rare helpful. for a lawyer. <laughs> I know, it's incredible. And I was like, Tom, what can I, what do I owe you? He's like, don't worry about it. I haven't done anything yet. I'm just basically talking to you, you know, like, this is he'll say this is what you need to do. I'm like, great, thanks. That was probably worth a thousand dollars, but you're not charging. So I send him gift certificates and things like that. You know, I'm very thankful and grateful for him. But there are professionals out there who uh, are very giving with their time, and I'm sure you'll find them. Or as I said, I'm sure you have friends uh, in similar fields or with experience that could help you along. Right. So what guarantees, if any, should vegan business owners expect to get when hiring someone to help with their marketing? Because that's something I think, you know, if business owners say, right, okay, I'm going to pay this money, I'm going to hire this person because they know what they're doing. uh, And they often kind of say, well, you know, what am I going to get for my money? I know that's tough. (laughs) That's really tough. And, you know, you get called out. uh, I've gotten called out a few times over the years on, you know, I've I've spent $2,000 and I haven't made $2,000. It doesn't work that way, you know. If you spend five thousand advertising, you're not necessarily going to get five thousand back immediately. It could be, uh, you know, branding advertising. It could be a way to get your name out there and your logo out there. But what I always uh, say to people is, you know, depending on their business, again, uh, this is a hugely generalized uh, answer. But how much is your time worth? Uh, how valuable is it to have somebody else on your team thinking about how to grow your business? And if you think of it that way, uh, an outside uh, vendor or partner in this case uh, becomes a team member, becomes a non-benefit, you know, there's no benefits given to uh, your new employee, your marketing team. So if you work with a firm, uh, you end up with perhaps 10 people who are doing nothing but marketing your company. And that's valuable. It's incredibly valuable uh, in terms of the cost and the return on investment because you, you simply can't do that. You're either running the register or coming up with the next big idea or, you know, fulfilling packaging or whatever it is that you're doing at your job because you got to keep yourself really lean in the first, you know, couple of years in terms of number of employees. But you're, you know, you've got somebody out there who's got your back. The clients that we have right now on retainer are more than happy to pay us uh, at the beginning of the month because they're like, what we're paying you is nothing compared to how many hours and how much time it would take us to do what you're doing. That's good. What does that mean? Well, talk us a little bit through what that means in terms of a retainer. So what kind of stuff would you be doing for a client on retainer? Well, some of it now, um, because of just the, the nature of the beast, is social media marketing. And so for some of our clients, we handle all of their channels for them. You know, we do uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, a little bit of LinkedIn, basically whatever, Pinterest, whatever things uh, fit well for their product or service. We make recommendations. We shore up their pages. We uh, do what we can to increase exposure, brand recognition, number of fans and followers. And then we're constantly 
uh, posting for them uh, two or three times a day um, on all channels. Um, and we do it by hand. We don't really we don't want to use Hootsuite if we don't have to, uh, which would post across all of them. We like to go in there and, and really customize it. But that's that's an example of retainer. And then meanwhile, there's other companies and clients that we work with where we're doing um, we're their marketing team full time. And so we're also uh, writing press releases, disseminating press releases. We're coming up with advertising recommendations for them, finding uh, traditional advertising menus to, to spend their money in to get some, uh, you know, obviously clients and customers. So it, it's a range of of. Uh, services that you would get if you're paying any agency a retainer fee if it's a thousand a month if it's you know we've gotten as much as nine or ten thousand dollars a month for really big clients um we're we're their marketing arm and so a lot of times there's there's reporting there's board member and board uh board of directors meetings that we're part of that you know we just become a, a full fully faceted marketing arm for their company Fantastic. And what do you look for when in a client before taking them on? Obviously, the fact that they're ethical and they're they're vegan. Are there any other things that you, um, you know, you look for before deciding? Yeah, I'm going to work with this person. Yeah, you know, another great. There's a, a recent <clears throat> example that that I'm dealing with right now where I can tell they're not ready. Um, and while I could probably become the company that helps them get ready, they don't have the budget, quite frankly, to to bring us on at that level. And so I sit down with them and they're making decisions that should have been made eight months ago, or they're waiting on some decision that somebody was supposed to get back to them six months ago. And I sit there and I go, this is not going anywhere. This is a bad, bad relationship right from the beginning. This is, this is, this is, this is two people in this case who don't know what they're doing uh, really hoping that I can come in there and save them uh, all for the cost of a logo, for example. So, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's people who, who don't have uh, their ducks in a row, you know, whether that's a vegan term, I'm not sure, but they're happy to be lined up. Uh, but, yeah, they, they need, they really need to think about those things ahead of time. And so when they're ready to sit down with any professional, I mean, you wouldn't sit down with your lawyer or your accountant without your books in order, without all the receipts that you need. And it's the same kind of thing where I want to be sitting with a, a client who really feels like they're ready to move, uh, whether it's because of their own confidence level, their experience, the other companies they've been part of, or quite frankly, what they're sitting down and placing in front of me. I want to be, I want to feel very confident that what we're working on is going to get, uh, it's going to go somewhere. I want I want to be as successful as they are. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about your your business then because you say you've run very successful, you know, advertising agencies, working with big clients and now you've very much zoned in on, you know, working for ethical brands. What were some of your key challenges when you first started up Tank Tank Creative because that's quite a shift in direction? Yeah, well, I can say that it was my ability to take what I had done over the years successfully and then more recently on a per contract basis with a number of different companies where I learned from their successes. I mean, I was being brought into six and $12 million companies to be a part of their team. Um, I could really see from, again, that boardroom level on how these successful companies were built. And so when I started Think Tank, um, I was really well armed 
to uh, swim with the sharks, I guess, and find <laughs> again another. Maybe is that a vegan? <laughs> that one is a vegan. I think that one's over. Yeah, that's up to you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. whether or not you want to do it. So okay. I was already able to do that, and so early on, I was very fortunate that uh, again through social media, I picked up a couple of big clients that um, fit right exactly into um, what I was doing. So the one of the very first clients we worked with was Miyoko's Kitchen when they were just oh. opening. And so um, you can't expect or, or want to be part of a better company than what Miyoko's done and continues to do and is now expanding uh, into a whole new facility. So we were there from the beginning and it, she and her company was exactly what we wanted to do. And then from there, we got contacted by um, the producer of Forks Over Knives, who was then in the beginning stages of Plant Pure Nation. Uh, and we did all the marketing for that film. When it you know, launched, we helped with our Kickstarter and all of those other things. So instantly we had uh, at least those two um, big accounts to just kick things off. And then from there, Miyoko and the whole West Coast thing exploded for us. There's a lot of food companies we work for out there. And then Plant Pure Nation because T. Colin Campbell is featured in the film. And we worked with his son, Nelson. We started to work with Tom Campbell, who uh, at that time was launching a book. So we were doing a lot of marketing for his book. So it all sort of just, I wouldn't say we got lucky because we knew what we were doing. But we did, um, we did get a little bit lucky uh, in timing because we just we picked up a few really good key accounts uh, initially that have uh, helped open all the doors for all the work we've done since. Excellent. I think that's a really good example of having that experience, um, you know, in what you do and then attracting the right kind of yeah. clients, you know, <laughs> saying, okay, this is the kind of client and then they they find you. So that's great. Now, I'm guessing, obviously, you, cause you're doing a lot of work. Like you said, sometimes you're a marketing arm for some companies. You must have a team that you work with. So do you have employees? Do you work with contractors? We, how, how does that sort yeah, of work? We currently don't have employees. When we opened, we had a handful, like four you know, more administrative people and a couple of creative people. Um, and since then, because of other things in my life, not <laughs> not the book withstanding, uh, <laughs> writing an 84,000 word book in six months has been incredibly time consuming. And so Think Tank um, has uh, not at all taken a back burner, but it's definitely been sort of pushed off to the side a little bit. Um, we've now scaled uh, our team back to uh, partners and vendors and all of them vetted, you know, very carefully to all be vegan, uh, like-minded uh, web programmers, designers, writers, editors, photographers, um, other designers. So it's it's a it's a team, but there's not a physical uh, payroll now that's that's, you know, a number of people. So it, it, it it'll grow up again, I think, I'm sure. Uh, but at this point, it's uh, back down to to me and and all of our outsourced and subcontract vendors. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, I spoke to, um, uh, I interviewed Damien Clarkson recently, who runs a creative agency. And one of the things he said is that often with a lot of, a lot of things that marketing agencies do, they're so busy telling other people's stories, they forget <laughs> to tell their own. Right. So I'm curious about whether that you can relate to that. And, and what kind of marketing strategies have you done for your own business for Thank Tank? You know, honestly, yeah. If, if, this also leads back to any one of your questions about how to be successful in business is that prospecting, um, which means getting customers or clients, you know, prospecting is going to be 50% of your job um, when you open a business, unless you somehow have a massive influx of 
uh, revenue and funds that allows you to to hire people and, and delegate. But as any startup, you're going to find yourself spending literally 50% of your time um, selling yourself, um, soliciting yourself, prospecting as you are actually working on the projects. And so with that said, um, you find yourself, your company, uh, if I were to draw a uh, diagram, uh, a graph for Think Tank for the past two years, um, there's there's a major dip happening right now as I'm finishing the book. Um, you know, it's it's what you can do in terms of your priorities. How much you put into your business is how much you get out of it. Um, I've, I've said that too with a lot of sort of uh, live networking uh, opportunities, things like chambers of commerce, where if you get involved in the Rotary International or if you get involved in some other organization and expect that you're going to see the fruits or, or of that rewarded, uh, you're going to get as much out as you put in. And so if you're an active board member, if you're active on committees, if you're there weekly or at every networking event, it's going to pay off. If you join, you know, you pay your 300 bucks and never do anything, it's not going to work. And so mm-hmm. your business is that way too, that I find myself right now, um, you know, as hungry as I could get um, is only how much time I have to get out there and, and get the work. And so, uh, you know, again, blaming everything on the book right now, which is a good thing, by the way, to, to blame everything on. It's going to the publisher in October. So at the end of this year, I'll be able to really uh, spend a lot more time uh, prospecting. I've also got a couple of other big opportunities that are coming up that, that you may hear about in the, in the coming weeks. But it's all, you know, it's all how much, how much you put into it is how much you'll get out. Fantastic. Now, it's very, very good advice there. So particularly for the service providers, yes. um, I can certainly relate to that um, as, as well. So <laughs> final couple of questions then, Erica, around the mindset. So a lot of business owners think that, uh, you know, owning a business, uh, it's a really great form of personal development because it forces you out of your comfort zone and, uh, and this kind of thing. What personal qualities do you think are essential to staying the course and running a successful ethical business? Oh, gosh. Um, staying connected, uh, staying active, networking, becoming a part of the community. Um, I know that you know, and I don't like to ever tell anybody to lean on social media uh, because it is only what it is. And it's a jungle and it can be really evil and I can get in the way and the time sucker. But done right, um, you know, between uh, platforms like Facebook and actually I think LinkedIn uh, was just purchased by Microsoft and maybe it'll have, yes. it'll have a, a new breath of life chugged into it because it's really valuable. If I, it, I always said if I spent as much time on LinkedIn as I spend on Facebook, I probably would have it, <laughs> my company be twice, <laughs> twice profitable um, because it's business people talking to business people. But with that said, um, to to remain successful and to uh, and to just keep it worthwhile, to keep it uh, something that you want to be a part of, I really um, I tell people you know to keep that that networking going on, to keep yourself out there, to be a positive person too. I mean, think about that. If you're out there and you're the the, the naysayer, if you're the person who's always negative, who always has something nasty to say, or you know is is posting or or positioning themselves in a very aggressive way, no one's going to want to work with you or no one's going to want your, your, uh, product or service. So it's really, uh, you know, it's, it's having a a presence. It's having, uh, a 
being being a person that that other people want to be around, and that's a big part of networking, and that's a big part of uh, growing your business, sustaining your business, prospecting, and retaining clients and customers. That's really good advice. I think that that's so important for people that they have to, particularly if they're new business owners, they may have been on, say, Facebook or whatever, uh, you know, as an activist, or whatever. But you do sometimes have to shift how you engage if you're going to run a business. I'm sure you and I have both seen some horror stories of oh, yeah. you know, businesses ranting at their customers or clients. Oh, my gosh. So. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a so, lot of that. And again, that's social media. And they, because if we're seeing it, if it's gotten that far, it's already gone too far. You know, it's too late to pull it back. <laughs> It's a good soundbite. I like that. <laughs> and it's it's um it's it's something that should not be put out there. And you and again, you're as active as I am, and so you'll see it by the fifth or sixth post or comment below a post. Someone will say, "This should have been taken care of offline. This is offline. Yeah, this is not going well." <laughs> and and sometimes it's out of anger or frustration or just sheer vindictiveness. But I don't think. You know, I think the good, I think the good will rise to the top and that's how I want to be perceived. And that's how those are the people I want to be working with. And it really shows, I mean, you and I, uh, the same channels that you, that you and I are active on in social media, I bet we would come up with the same list of 12 people who we admire, uh, just for their posture, just for the way that they conduct themselves yes. and, and how yeah. uh, positive and, and good they are for the, for the whole cause. Absolutely. No, brilliant advice there. So final question, Eric, what's your long-term vision for Thank Tank and for yourself? Obviously, you've got the fantastic book, which yeah. I'm very excited about, yeah. so I look forward to reading that. Um, what, what else? What's your sort of long-term vision and plan? Well, I would love to um, think that the book, which um, has been now edited by two very well-respected, um, incredibly intelligent, maybe they're going to listen to this podcast, um, Cornell lawyers who also happen to be ethical vegans. They both read the book and, and tore it to shreds in the most brilliant, positive way possible. So I really think I've got a great manuscript that I'm going to finish this month. And so with that said, I do have some ideas on how that book um, could leverage and become other entities, could become other sort of revenue diversifications for me. Um, but that's wishful thinking. That's just, you know, I've got a great book and others love it and it got a great review. So let's do something with it. So that's one, that's one direction. Yeah. Think Tank itself. Um, I would like to be doing uh, more and more regular work. I would like to figure out um, that sort of sweet spot so that we are the go-to company that people don't feel hesitant to come to us when they've only got I'm, I'm not making this number up when they've got $175 or $375 or whatever, uh, you know, on, on and upward. Um, because we do, when we can, when we have the time, we do want to help. We've done plenty of, you know, farm sanctuary logos for, for $0 uh, because we want to help everybody. We want to be there for them. And so if it's possible, we'll do it. And so I want to be you know, again, when you talk about, you know, what is your own company's brand and what is Eric doing for Thank Tank, I would love to get the company to a point where people feel like we're philanthropic with our time, that that's something that we do or they come to us because they know they can borrow an hour or they can expect a great, you know, drawing of a chicken, which I've got a ton of drawings of chickens if anyone needs them. <laughs> um, you know, so you know, that they come to us and, and that we'll work with them and make it work for them and, and they have a positive experience because, you know, out of 
the two years with Think Tank and then the sort of 20 years I've been doing marketing and design, I still am just amazed that I can count on one hand the number of times that it's uh, it just hasn't worked, that the, the relationship hasn't worked. And that's pretty amazing when you think about working with hundreds and hundreds of companies from very small businesses to, to very large businesses. It's, it's a great testament to uh, how I think I work well with others and um, can really create an environment of, of positivity and people want to work with us. You know, it's, it's fun. So I think that's, I think that's the plan is that getting just more and more people to say, uh, I want to work with Thank Tank. Excellent. Well, I certainly want to work with Thank Tank again. I've worked with you once, so I could test that. Eric, you shared some wonderful insights. I've learned um, heaps today from talking to you myself, so I know that that people are going to get a lot out of this uh, podcast. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Katrina. Thank you for everything you do, and thank you for all you do for the animals. I mean, seriously, you are an inspiration to all of us, and just keep, keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. So that was Eric Lindstrom from Thank Tank Creative. You can find out more at thanktankcreative.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 41. Now for our vegan business news roundup. The Cambridge Satchel Company has teamed up with vegan brand Melissa to offer its first leather-free range of bags. Made from Melflex, a PVC that's recyclable and waterproof, the satchels come in three colours, black, red and a holographic, which is like a clear colour. Oh, and each bag smells of bubble gum. (laughs) That's pretty unique, isn't it? Melissa is a Brazilian brand that also makes shoes and it's renowned for its creative collaborations with some of fashion's best-known icons, including Vivian Westwood. Julie Dean, founder and CEO of the Cambridge Satchel Company, said a collaboration needs two strong partners with unique design elements, taking our timeless shape and mixing it with Melissa's iconic raw material makes perfect sense. We're also happy that this partnership offers a vegan alternative to our customers. So this is another great example of mainstream fashion brands dipping their toes into animal-free alternatives. And as I've said on previous episodes of Vegan Business Talk, the greater demand there is for vegan products, the more mainstream companies will get on board and we can phase out animal materials altogether. Vegan cheese has been renamed Gary. (laughs) You've probably heard this story as it went viral across both traditional and social media last week. It started off with one woman's angry rant against vegan cheese after British supermarket chain Sainsbury's launched its new coconut-based line of vegan cheeses. Call it Gary or something. Don't call it cheese because it's not cheese, she proclaimed, adding that the so-called inferior product was not welcome at her wine and cheese parties. (laughs) Vegans everywhere took her at her word and decided to call our cheese Gary. (laughs) It was pretty funny. I must admit seeing posts on social media like I'm having Mac and Gary on toast tonight. And there are all sorts of other creative memes that, that vegans created. And it was fabulous. Now, what's particularly good about all of this, aside from it being amusing, is that it was a brilliant example of how a business can turn negative criticism about a product into something positive. 
It showed vegans and us Brits <laughs> to have a sense of humour too. And the publicity Sainsbury's got was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in advertising. British vegan shoe brand Beyond Skin has collaborated with musician and model Leah Weller to launch a lace knee-high pair of boots with 10% of all sales going to people for the ethical treatment of animals. Leah is the daughter of singer-songwriter Paul Weller from the punk mod revival band The Jam. The boots feature stiletto heels, pointed toes and a full zip on the inside leg, plus they're lined with 100% recycled polyurethane with a vegetable polymer coating. Now these are definitely something I would have worn when I was younger. Um, I was very big on heels when I was young. I don't really do them anymore nowadays unless they're platforms with a nice flat base so that way I can get the height but have my feet nice and comfy. (laughs) But they sound and they look great. Now, this kind of collaboration is a win all round. The brand gets great PR by working with a celebrity. The celebrity gets extra publicity because it's a new angle for the media to cover. And the campaign group gets money as well as publicity. So if you get a chance to work with a celebrity, take it. It doesn't have to be an A-lister to start with. And of course, you've got to make sure that the celebrity is a good fit for your image and your brand, shares the same values and is passionate about your cause. Fresh & Co, a small chain of fast casual restaurants in New York, is adding tomato tuna to its menu, reports Fast Company. Owner George Tenedios already embraces meat alternatives such as those made by Beyond Meat. Now he's taken on a tomato sushi product created by San Francisco-based chef James Corwell from Ocean Hugger Foods. Concerned by the environmental impact of tuna fishing, Tenedios was keen to find an alternative. An early adopter of plant-based meat alternatives, he was impressed by the tomato sushi in mimicking the taste of blue tuna and will be rolling it out this month. Fresh & Co executive chef Michael Roberts was equally impressed and Corwell is pleased to be getting calls from people in England, Spain, Germany and Israel all keen to get his product. Isn't this fantastic? I really love these innovative solutions to major environmental issues. Finally, InStyle magazine featured luxury vegan fashion brand Jill Milan in their top 10 choice of actor Hayley Steinfeld's fashion looks recently. Steinfeld wore a Stella McCartney jumpsuit to the Video Music Awards and carried a Jill Milan disc-shaped Oxford clutch bag to complement her look. Steinfeld was styled for the MTV event by celebrity stylist Carla Welsh. The bag is entirely handmade in Florence, Italy, of fully recyclable Italian stainless steel, and the logo serves as the clutch's latch. Steinfeld joins a long list of celebrities who've sported Jill Milan bags on red carpets over the years, including Kerry Washington and Jane Fonda. So again, getting celebrities to be associated with your brand can do wonders for raising your profile. What I love about Jill Milan is how they make the most of these opportunities by sharing the news in a press release and then putting it out across their social media platforms. It really boosts a brand's credibility and positions it as top of mind in its category.
So if you make a product and you see a celebrity using or wearing it, make sure you tell the world. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. 